This episode, number 24, is a good one. If you've ever felt like nodding off at your desk, or if you wake up with a (gasps) and realise you've just planted your face in your study for the last three hours, and where the line between excessive tiredness and narcolepsy begins. Today's guest knows a thing or two about how to manage and optimise sleep quality, given that she is also a narcoleptic herself. There's absolutely heaps to learn in this episode, so let's jump into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I'm here with Kate Keegan, who studied commerce at Melbourne Uni and is now furthering her study and research in the field of science. And she is here today to talk about her lifelong condition of narcolepsy and also how to improve your energy levels and avoid the afternoon slump. So, Welcome to the show, Kate. How are you doing? Good. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. I'm glad you're on the show. I'm really excited to share some of this narcolepsy stuff. So let's start straight off the bat with a definition. What is narcolepsy? Cool. Okay. So very few people probably have heard of narcolepsy. So narcolepsy is a hypersomnia sleeping disorder, and that means it's characterized by excessive daytime sleepiness. So if you can imagine, despite narcoleptics always sleeping and feeling so tired all the time, it's probably due to the fact that they're not getting deep restorative sleep. So they continually day in and day out, despite sleeping so much, they're not getting that deep restorative sleep that they really need. And therefore, it just becomes this perpetual cycle, basically, of feeling really tired, excessively tired during the day. Right. Is it an autoimmune disease? So, well, the jury's still out on whether it's an autoimmune disease or not. But from the research that I've done and everything that's newly coming available, it's becoming more obvious that it might be an autoimmune disease. And so I guess narcolepsy can be attributed similarly to diabetes where there's a type 1 condition, which is autoimmune, and then there's a type 2 condition, which is a bit more blurred and tends to be associated more with lifestyle factors as well. So with type 1 narcolepsy, like in diabetes, the immune system is attacking the cells of the pancreas that are creating insulin. The same thing is happening in type 1 narcolepsy. Um, So the cells in the brain of hypocretin, which are responsible for wakefulness, are actually being attacked by the immune system. And there's no, like when you show studies of normal healthy participants and their hypocretin, and you compare it to narcoleptics, you'll tend to find basically little to no hypocretin in the brains of type 1 narcoleptics. So it's completely been destroyed, I guess, and um, there's nothing there to promote that wakefulness. And then with type 2 um, diabetes, you'll find, yeah, the comorbidities with other um, obesity disease and everything. And so the same could be said for narcolepsy. It's a bit harder to define because you don't have, um, yeah, you do still have normal levels of hypocretin. And is that the cells that respond to the hypocretin or the, mm. the receptors that receive them, is that uh, genetically manipulated? Like is it, are you born without those cells from birth due to genetic defects or, or is, can that happen later on? Sure. So, um, no, you tend to be born just with normal levels of hypocretin. Right. So the truth is like I was just a normal, healthy um, girl up until the age of 16 when I started to get really tired, excessively tired. 
but I didn't actually notice that that was abnormal at the time because who isn't tired you're at the, the age of 16? Of, yeah, you're in the middle of puberty, your body's changing, all this stuff's happening. Exactly. So you're a student, everyone around you is tired. But the reality was that, you know, there's been some sort of infection, they believe, that has caused the body's immune system to attack these hypocretin cells and actually destroy them so there's none left and then you're left with this excessive daytime sleepiness. Interesting. So, so is it potentially viral? So, yeah, definitely it could be viral um, and there are links saying that maybe there's a flu injection or some sort of flu that people have um, contracted that could have brought on their narcolepsy. So, there are several cases which show that that may be the cause of some people's narcolepsy. And for myself, honestly, I couldn't say. There is a whole host of um, things that it could be from glandular fever to a tick bite that I actually had, but we'll never know. But I definitely was once healthy and then I did develop this um, narcolepsy. Yeah, I guess. And with it being so unknown it's with and with all the possibilities of causation, it's pretty hard to test, put a control group of people to get bitten by ticks. To- exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend it. I can't see that getting past ethics. No. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, so it's really difficult to diagnose, would you say? Like, because... My initial thought is that most people sit on the edge of sleepiness every single day. And I know even myself, you give me 10 seconds alone after, you know, a busy week and, you know, I'm gone. So what characterizes, you know, the definition of narcolepsy? Is it a blood test that finds out that the hypocretin isn't functioning properly or are there other factors that give you the ability to be able to diagnose it? Yeah, definitely. And what you said at the start is super interesting. And that's why I'm so passionate about this is that, you know, everyone around us is so tired these days to the point where they could fall asleep at the drop of a hat. And so that's what I find to be so interesting. Um, everyone knows what it's like to be really excessively tired, but I guess that's where it comes, becomes difficult, difficult because narcolepsy is an incidence rate of about one in 2000. And I'm sure the listeners would probably be thinking, you know, they feel like they've got excessive daytime sleepiness. So how do you pick out, you know, a narcoleptic out of a whole host of people who raise their hands saying that they're really fatigued all the time? Tired, yeah. yeah. So um, the one defining characteristic of type one narcolepsy is this very, very unique um, characteristic where an emotional, a strong emotional trigger will cause a narcoleptic to fall into REM sleep. So I have type 1 narcolepsy and this is actually how I was able to find out that I wasn't just tired like normal 16-year-olds, but I would have a good laugh with my friends. I'm talking a belly laugh that seriously brings on strong emotional like reaction. And then I would fall from a normal state of consciousness into essentially REM sleep. The function of REM sleep is that you're dreaming, right? So your brain yep. is internally active, but externally you're inactive. So your body is paralyzed. Now that's to save you acting out your dreams. But what happens with cataplexy in type 1 narcoleptics is that that sleep switch is not working properly. So strong emotion triggers them to fall into REM sleep and they lose all muscle tone. They fall to the ground or from whatever they're doing. But it's different to fainting in that they're internally active. So they're completely aware of what's going on around them. They know that they're in this precarious situation and that um, they can't move. And so that was, yeah, a really defining feature for type 1 narcoleptics. Yeah, wow. So the so you would just fall in a heap wherever you were? Yeah. And and is it is it just like laughing, like positive emotion, or can it be... 
you know, excessive negative emotion or, you know, I guess sexual experience brings on a high emotional states, like all of these things. Yeah, definitely. So um, definitely strong laughter brings it on the most for me. Right. I've had one experience where um, a big shock or a fright brought it on for me. Yeah. I haven't so much had it where, um, you know, stress or anxiety has brought it on, but I have heard that that can be um, something that other narcoleptics experience. Yeah, right. And when you keep referring to type 1, how many types are there? So there are two types. Just like yeah. type 1 and type 2 diabetes, yep. there's two types of narcolepsy. Right. And it, so you've got type 1. Yeah. What does type 2 look like? So type 2 is more blurry because you don't have that cataplexy, that really distinct signal that there is something seriously wrong just beyond normal sleepiness. Yeah. And so that tends to um, yeah be associated more with like overweight, obesity and it just, yeah, it, it's hard to diagnose. And that's why I feel really grateful to have type 1 narcolepsy because I was able to identify it. But there are plenty of type 2 narcoleptics out there who don't have that strong signal to say this is beyond just normal tiredness. And is type 2 more likely to be linked with comorbidities and that's why it's so blurry? Definitely. So sleep apnea, um, restless leg syndrome, just a whole host of other um, disruptions which are causing this really extreme fatigue. Yeah, right. So so that was your personal journey, which I appreciate you sharing because yeah. you know, it's not often a comfortable thing to talk about your own journey with these types of things. But I understand that the management of narcolepsy, generally speaking, is through pharmaceutical stimulants uh, and medications. So yeah. um, I know from when we caught up the other week in our chat that you wanted to reduce your intake of pharmaceutical drugs to as low as possible. So I got two questions. Firstly, why did you want to go down that path? And secondly, what is the th- combination therapy that you use to manage and treat it now? Definitely. So I wanted to get off of the medications because what I noticed over time was that I was so reliant on them to just function at kind of a level of a normal, healthy human being. And it got to a point where I was continually relying on these stimulants and underneath it all physically, my body was just absolutely exhausted. I you know, was losing muscle mass. I felt weak. I didn't feel healthy at all. But you're kind of covering it up with these stimulants um, to try to you know, fake it until you make it and try to get through every day. So for me, when I recognized just how destructive these stimulants were and the fact that they were just simply masking the problem and not actually addressing the underlying issue, that's when I knew I had to get off of them. And especially because narcolepsy is a chronic sleeping disorder, the thought of taking these medications for the next 60, 70 years for me was quite frightening. And the implications of getting other illness as a result of that was just quite overbearing for me. So I guess that's why I'm off the medications now. And then the second type um, question was that, yeah, what am I doing now? Well, at the moment, I only take the stimulants when I really need to. So um, that's very rarely, but just depending on whether I've had a really bad night's sleep, I'll take them. But along with that, I'm also taking a new medication, which is quite controversial because it's gamma hydroxybutyrate, otherwise known as GHB. Yeah, so I'm not a sure lot of yeah, a lot of elite athletes and fitness people take that. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, what to sleep? Um, no, for their their ketone production and yeah. burning of fats. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, it's been strongly linked to like mirror the same um, beta hydroxybutyrate that yes. comes about through ketosis at yeah. night. Yeah. So um, I take GHB at night these days and 
you know, I'm only taking the lowest dose possible. It has really good side effects and it's helping you to get that deeper restorative sleep that narcoleptics just don't get. We're dreaming all of the time, but we really don't get those um, fluid sleep cycles that most healthy people would get. Right. Dreaming all the time. That sounds kind of fun. Oh gosh, it gets it gets enough after it all. Yeah. Yeah, right. So question about the, the medication you were just referring to. Is that because that when we're asleep, the brain or your neuro neurological system utilizes fats or ketones more effectively? Or is that the idea behind taking that medication? Um, that's a good question. It definitely does use them more effectively. And when I was on too high a dose, dose of the GHB, I lost weight very rapidly. Yeah. I'm talking like five kilos within the space of a couple of months. So it was pretty extreme. Um, I couldn't say, um, but maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, a lot of people take those for for that type of reason because during because I guess the brain preferentially prefers fats and these ketone bodies because, uh, you know, it's more bang for your buck. Uh, it'll always run on glucose as well, but preferentially it tries to burn fat. And I figure, you know, I'm just totally speculating off the top of my head, but given it's a neurological disorder, that the increase of the ketone bodies and fats in your system might be of benefit. Definitely. And actually on that note, that is the reason why, you know, I eat the way I do. So I tend to eat quite a lower carbohydrate. Like I stick away from processed carbs because ketosis for me, for my brain and its functioning is so much more beneficial. Like if I was to sit down now and have a burger and just, you know, regular carby bread, I'd be asleep within half an hour. So the distinct correlation between eat what I eat and therefore um, how I feel is huge. So when I'm in ketosis, I don't get that rapid drop of energy. And so, yeah, the same is like with the GHB, it's kind of mirroring that and really supporting what the brain and body was designed to do and how it was designed to function. So you do you essentially live in a state of ketosis? Yeah, I would say I do. I'm not strict on it at all. I have been in the past. Now I just basically stick away from yeah, really refined carbs. I eat regular carbs like vegetables, but for the most part, yeah, I'm eating very low carb and trying to add a lot of healthy fats. Like I'm talking a lot to satiate me. 
Yeah, because low, I guess low carb, high fat, and ketosis and keto—they're like you know the buzzer words, the gold words yeah. right now in the health and fitness industry. Everyone's doing keto. Um, so since you brought it up, I would mm. love to know what your diet looks like, like sure. because I have a lot of people that come to me to talk. You know, what is keto? How do I do keto? And some people have the idea of keto that it's you know just steaks and cheese, mm-hmm. um, and you know you can do good things in a bad way. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious. What does your diet look like? Yeah, diet is everything in terms of managing my narcolepsy. I wouldn't be here today without, you know, not functioning on any stimulants if I wasn't managing and controlling my diet. Because, you know, the studies show that when you have increased your insulin levels after, you know, a high carbohydrate meal, it's consequently decreasing your hypocretin, so the amount of hypocretin that is produced, and that's responsible for wakefulness, right? That's the missing neuropeptide I don't have. So if you think of, you know, regular healthy people, the same thing is happening for them because the concept is, you know, you found your food, you're full. This is like, you know, an evolutionary perspective. You found your food, you're full, therefore you don't need this wakefulness. You can have a rest now. Your job is done today. Yeah, food coma. Yeah, food coma essentially. So that's super – because my threshold of hypocretin is so low, I'm super sensitive to the carbs. Um, And then your question was – what does your diet look like? Yeah, what does my diet look like? So um, every day I tend to, yes, steer away from any kind of refined carbs. I have like eggs in the morning. I'll have some avocado with those. Um, for lunchtime, I tend to have like a salad, lots of greens, healthy fats. So avocado again, olive oil, coconut oil, add some good um, organic meat with it if I can. And then for dinner, the same kind of story. So like good vegetables, um, whether they're roasted or what have you, and some salmon for dinner, like that's basically how I'm eating. Sounds super good. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah you'd be like my perfect client. Oh, great. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so question um, with fasting. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of fasting. I think everyone should fast. And by everyone, I mean normal people that have not had your experience. So I'm wondering what your experience is. Do you get tired after a certain amount of time not eating? Do, have you tried fasting or intermittent fasting? How has it affected you? Fasting is awesome. Honestly, the best exams that I've ever sat have been the ones where I've sat them fast. So you've been like the most awake you've felt, 100%. the most mental clarity. That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I, if I want to do well on an exam, I won't eat. And that's because, you know, my acuity is so much more pronounced. Like I can really concentrate on wanting, what I'm wanting to do. And even now, I'm not going to lie, I'm like in a fasted state. Me too. Because oh, there you go. This is the fastest this is podcast be an ever. Awesome, <laughs> awesome podcast for sure. <laughs> yeah, but like I definitely find fasting is great for that. Now, like that's kind of more looking at an intermittent fasting and not necessarily a three, four day fast. But I have done it in the past and you just feel great afterwards. Like through it, you know, a little bit fatigued and um, exhausted, but you feel great. The side effects in terms of the whole body side effects. I'm not just talking the brain. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. So would you then conclude very loosely, but that any digestive workload on your body or any metabolic workload that you put onto your body has a negative impact to some degree on your narcolepsy and therefore in a fasted state when you're, you know, empty and there's no digestion for the body to prioritize, like that you're in a better off place? Like do you th- Connect those two events? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I am my best self when I'm not digesting food. Yeah. And I just can tell that completely. Um, And that's why, yeah, I do live in the way that I do these days. That's why I'm so focused on my food because it is the single most important thing for me to change the outcome of my day. 
Yeah, basically. right. It's funny. I get it probably by far, actually, the most common question I get through my Instagram, through my email, whatever, is always about fasting. And people, it confuses them, their intuition, the idea that you can be, you can increase bodily function, mental awareness, all of these things without eating because we're just so cultured yep. to think, uh, you must know, eat. yeah, like if food equals energy. Yeah. Um, and, and I think true. people make the mistake of looking at the human body kind of like a coal train. Like you've yep. got to keep shoveling the coal in to get results. Exactly. But it's just the reality is, as you've just described, like so eloquently, it's not the case. It's not the case at all, yeah. In yeah. fact, if you are someone who suffers from like extreme fatigue all the time, then maybe that's something you need to look at. As oh, you said. Absolutely. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know, like, but the, the digestive tract can take up to 40% of the body's blood supply. Yeah, exactly. And when you're not eating, the body now has 40% of its assets available to do other things. Yeah. Hence, you know, increased focus, better mental clarity, all of these things. Better exams. Yeah. Better exams. I Look, I wish when I was at university that I knew remotely what fasting was because I could have done with some better exams. True. Well, these are my tips. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm about. So you figured out in your journey, you figured out the most optimal way to manage and optimize your energy levels and you've launched a program called Secretly Sleepy. So to help people with their, to, to manage their energy levels and, you know, get over that slump in the afternoon and any issues they've got, like, can you run us through what you do with, with people and what you do with yourself and what is Secretly Sleepy? So Secretly Sleeping. Um, Sleep, oh, my sorry, mistake. Maddie. Do we even know my program? <laughs> oh, my God. You should sell it to me. <laughs> I'll sell it to you. So basically Secretly Sleeping is a platform I'm wanting to create to increase awareness and education around sleep and its importance because I can tell you from my firsthand experience how important quality sleep is for people's functioning and optimizing their lives. So I want to kind of increase the awareness away from just diet and exercise onto the concept of sleep because it is the single most important thing that we can leverage to improve the quality of our life um, and improve our overall energy. And as I said at the start, you know, everyone around us is so, so tired all the time. I'm pretty sure the stat is something like six out of 10 Australians, you know, are sleep deprived at any one moment. And I'm sure listeners will put their hand up too and say they identify with that. And so I just want to increase awareness in my little part of the world, which is going to be with people around my age, people who are studying, students, um, people who have just started out in their first-time job, to place a better importance on sleep because the saying, you know, sleep is for the weak or, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead are such common phrases in our vocabulary. But often we, you know, we subconsciously think that sleep is like a seven deadly sin, like it's um, laziness, you know, or sloth. So I'd love to change that and try to educate people about how they can get some seek, uh, sleep secrets, that is, and yeah, improve the quality of their lives. I absolutely love that. And I could not agree more. Like sleep is the is the foundation that every other human variable sits upon. And yeah. the fact that it's a bragging point, most people are like, oh, you know, I only sleep five hours a night or six hours a night. They've done studies connected with IQ and the deterioration of IQ with perpetual lack of sleep. Like yeah. that's not a thing to brag about. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm getting dumber. Yeah. Don't be <laughs> proud about that. And what I find even more interesting is that, you know, people, even college students, we know they're abusing stimulants and they're abusing those is because they want to enhance their memory and they want to improve their concentration. They want to optimize their efficiency in their work. But, you know, if I could sell you those stimulants, except I'd say, you know, I'm not going to give you the side effects that come with those stimulants, 
But I'm going to give you the value added bonus of, you know, improving your overall muscle retention, improving your ability to lose fat, to improve your mood, to have better relationships as a result, and then improve the functioning of your immune system. Like who wouldn't sign up for that? And then when I say to you, you know, it's free and you have to do it for no extra effort. Like that is basically sleep. That is what evolution has created for us to leverage. And we don't do that. And I love that you've put that together because, and the the weird hurdle that I find with most people when it comes to talking about sleep is that we're so used to like physically doing something. Yeah. So when you give somebody a prescription of just chill out and go to bed a bit earlier, people are like, they feel- I, I can't try hard at that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it's not a, a really, pro- it's not like go to the gym and just, you know, they ruin themselves and they feel physically like they've, oh, I'm working towards this goal. But with sleep, they're like, So I just do nothing? Exactly. So it's this new social revolution we're in where it's like people always feel like they have to be doing something and that they think sleep is for the week, that, you know, successful people don't sleep or they feel guilty when they do sleep. Um, And so I just love to change the mindset around that because if only people knew if they really optimized their sleep. They could be that person they want to become. They could be successful, but we have such a warped perspective of what we should prioritize in life. And I think that that's at the detriment of our overall health as a society. Couldn't agree more. Um, So before we wrap up, where can everybody find you online? So people can find me on my Instagram at secretly underscore sleeping, or they can find me um, on my YouTube, which is also secretly sleeping. Awesome. So remember, if you learned anything from this episode, take a screenshot, chuck it on your Instagram story, tag secretly sleeping. Thank you. And myself, Maddie Lansdowne, and give it a share. And if there's anybody you think in your life that can benefit, share this episode with them. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Maddie. No worries. So last question. Yeah. What is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? Beautiful. I would say um, sleep is about quality, not just quantity. And as a narcoleptic who can sleep 12 plus hours a day, I'm telling you that firsthand that you need to actually improve the quality of the sleep that you're getting and start to um, focus on optimizing your life that way. Quality, not quantity. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much. And I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.